Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, presented by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Our sponsor for this podcast is Trinity Rail, which continues to be your premier provider of integrated rail transportation products and services. From rail car leasing and manufacturing to maintenance parts and much more, Trinity Rail remains ready to deliver targeted solutions to meet any rail transportation requirement. Call Trinity Rail at 1-800-631-4420 or go to trinityrail.com to learn how the company can help solve today's problems and better prepare you for tomorrow's opportunities. Today more than ever, Trinity Rail is built to deliver. My guests for this edition of Rail Group On Air are from the leadership team at BNSF Railway. Carl Ice, President and Chief Executive Officer and Railway Age's 2016 Railroader of the Year. Executive Vice President Operations Katie Farmer and Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer Steve Bob. Well, Carl and Katie and Steve, I'd like to welcome you to Rail Group On Air. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I think the first question uh, out of uh, everybody's mind really is, uh, how are you folks dealing with the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, first of all, we're very proud of all the hard work and dedication that the people of BNSF has done. You know, many, many things have changed in, in our society with the advent of, of COVID, but one thing that hasn't is the BNSF teams continue to deliver the essential freight our country needs. So from the start, we believed it was very important to ground ourselves in CDC guidelines. So we've done that, we've adapted as we've gone. And at the, all through that, our intention was to protect our employees and protect their health so they could do their important work. And, and they've done that well, and they've safely and efficiently delivered the essential goods that, that we need uh, to, to, for all purposes, including fighting the pandemic. The reason we think we can be encouraged, there's a couple of key reasons. Um, one is that, that our people, everyone at BNSF, is conscious of safety. It's the most important thing we do. So we're used to adapting to something that comes up and then having to, to, to make adjustments. Now, things like this don't happen, of course, but I still think we're, we start off with knowing it's important to be safe and knowing that we have rules and procedures we need to follow. And our, our folks have done that well, I think. Uh, then additionally, although we wouldn't have predicted this happening, we've done things that positioned us, I think, to be able to respond, like having our employees have, have technology with things like iPads so we could change the way they do things, how they come, come to work, uh, having a backup dispatching center that we could then use to split our dispatching operations, um, and then you know, things like being, being prepared to be able to do things remotely so that our people that don't have to be at work to do their work, we could encourage to, to work at home. And then that helped further protect the people that need to be here every day. And so, so all those things, I think, then put us in, again in a position that we can be encouraged. And then on top of that, um, Steve's team uh, has worked to make sure we have good communication with our customers throughout. So we always think that's important, uh, but it's certainly uh, important here now, uh, vitally so. And that helps us, has helped us prioritize the the, the shipments that had what needs to move uh, and through all that then we've delivered all the freight that's come to us 
Well, you know, the words that uh, uh, pop into my mind are actually ones that we, we used on the cover uh, of the April issue, uh, which features a, a BNSF uh, freight train. Those, those words are, and I think they, uh, they not only describe BNSF, but I think they would describe the entire railway industry. Resilient, resourceful, focused, and strong. Those are those are great words. Um, I mean, I think they're true. Um, you know, things are not compelling if if people don't believe in them. So I think they're 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 true. They're true for the industry. And again, I think we can be be proud of all those things that that all railroaders show. Um, being a railroader is a very high calling, uh, and I think people have have answered that. Certainly, I believe the BNSF team has answered that. And so I think those are those are a wonderful description. The, the current state of the business, things are tough. Different railroads are being affected, uh, affected differently. What, what is the current state of, uh, of BNSF right now? In simple terms, volumes are down, and, and they're down by a lot from 2019 and also lower than we expected uh, entering 2020. Uh, through the first quarter, we, we hadn't felt the full impact of, of COVID, where our volume was down just over 5% to below 2019. But then as we went through March and, and into April, those declines accelerated. And we bottomed out about, uh, down about 25% as we came uh, through April. Uh, just to contrast that, last week our volumes were down about 16%. So, so we feel like we've, we've found the bottom. Now, clearly, any way you look at the volume environment, it's, uh, it's down. On the other hand, if you step back, compare the volume impacts on BNSF and the rail industry, to many other businesses and industries, you can see the value proposition that, that rail provides. In the midst of the economy nearly shutting down, our network adjusted and kept providing service, good service. As some customers needed to adjust their supply chains, and in some cases, speeding up their supply chains, we were able to adjust our operation, um, add capacity to our faster services, and retain volumes that traditionally might have been thought to, to move over the road when customers need things faster. Uh, yes, business is down, but we still have business, and we're experiencing slow, albeit in some cases, uneven recovery. Additionally, I talked about our overall volume. We serve almost every portion of the economy, and there are different outcomes to date through this pandemic and likely different paths forward for each of the different economic sectors that we serve. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is that we are well positioned to handle our customers' freight as the economy and, and their businesses recover. Uh, we're not asking our customers for a perfect forecast. We're asking them to let us know how they're leaning so that we can um, work with our operations team to, to plan for the necessary adjustments we need to make uh, our customers as, as uh, they, they move forward. I'll give you a little bit of color on some of our, our major segments. And, and remember, we ended 2019 our economy and BNSF was, was already feeling the impacts of trade tensions um, in any of the manufacturing areas, exports, imports, and lower energy prices in the crude and frac sand space. So even before we got to the pandemic, there were things going on uh, within, uh, within our segments. And you'll see those, if anything, multiplied as we, as we move through the pandemic. So I'm going to give you some numbers. I haven't, I'm not going to throw a lot of statistics out here, but I think I think when we talk about the business being down, sometimes the order of magnitude of understanding what our operating team has had to deal with and, and adjust in, uh, in the operation. Um, our consumer products business was down by the most, and, and that was down 240,000 units 
year to date. Now that is a really big number on a on a big operation, but uh, we have managed to retain our ability to serve our customers even as those uh, those volumes come down and and as volumes are now coming back up, we're in the process of uh, providing service to our customers as well. And so really our our consumer products business was down by a lot, coal is down by a lot. Industrial products is down. Agricultural products um, down only slightly, and actually that business has 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 uh, maintained relatively strong um, volumes into several domestic markets and several export markets. And I'll come back and, and touch on some of the differences there. The consumer products does that include automotive traffic? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna get to that. So consumer products, okay. we think about that as. Uh, as uh, intermodal, and we talk about intermodal really across a couple of different segmentations. We have our domestic business, and that is both the truckload uh, freight as well as a variety of expedited service offerings, uh, parcel, LTL, our international intermodal, and then automotive. So when we say consumer products, those are the those are the segments we talk about, and 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 that business right there had multiple different paths as we came through the pandemic. Early on, we felt it on the international side because the the supply side of the equation for North America is where we felt the Asian impacts of what, uh, what the pandemic was doing to production in Asia. And so we first felt softening coming through the Chinese New Year. We always feel Chinese New Year as a, as a soft spot in our international business, but this was unprecedented both in its depth and length of the of the decline in imports. So that's where we first felt it. And then um, then it moved into our truckload space. Um, and then after that, it moved into industrial products and then uh, automotive. And so there was kind of a sequence of the volume falling off. And quite frankly, that we're seeing a different sequence as you as you look across the business in terms of how it starts up. One thing that has uh, has been um, very interesting to see is we've always had a large portion of our intermodal business um, provide parcel service, and that uh, that business has actually grown um, by a lot. It was growing even last year, but it has grown uh, throughout the pandemic by a lot. And another example of us and our operating team being able to make adjustments and provide additional capacity in a very high service um, type of uh, type of product to our to our customers as as they are are handling unexpected and unprecedented volumes as well so that's been really really uh, fun to watch how how we've handled that automotive uh, as we came through uh, march and april we saw our automotive business all but uh, shut down um, we had some imports still coming into the U.S., but you could see that all the automotive plants uh, shut down, and so our automotive business went to went to almost zero uh, in April. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know that is uh, starting to come back, and if anything, it's coming back a little bit faster than we expected. As I mentioned, industrial products felt the decline a little bit after consumer products. But uh, it has, uh, I would say, we feel it has overall um, stabilized. 
but uh, we think the growth pack, path back there will probably be a little bit longer. And as I mentioned earlier, anything related to domestic energy production is still in a very, very um, weakened state. Agricultural products, um, our, our grain business stayed very solid throughout all of this, both export and domestic with uh, one exception, and that is that with the reduced use of gasoline, our ethanol business uh, declined uh, a lot. It was already softer because of of the trade tensions uh, decreasing our ethanol exports to China, but uh, with the gasoline use declining, ethanol use declined, and uh, likewise the corn we haul into ethanol plants declined as as well. We're starting to see that come back as well. And then coal um, volume down uh, already, uh, stressed by presence of renewables and low natural gas prices and and the shutting down of coal-fired power plants. But during the pandemic, electricity demand declined, and that further reduced uh, our, our demand for coal. And so uh, that, is, that is one where the effects of the pandemic also multiplied the underlying stresses that, that were in place in, in the industry. And and while we might see some seasonal uptick in coal as we move through summer air conditioning, um, you know, we, we just don't believe that, that coal is, uh, is, is going to experience what we would call real growth. We might see some, some seasonal demand, but not real growth. And when you ask about the state of the railroad, um, I mean, we probably still would also want to make sure that we say that the railroad is running well. So Katie may have a couple things she wants to say about that. I think it's exactly what Carl said at the start of the, the podcast, which is our people have responded. Um, early on, we identified shipments that were important for the effort, the pandemic, the COVID-19 shipments. We were able to flag those in the system and make sure we were expediting those to support the efforts for our frontline um, healthcare workers and making sure that stores were restocked. And, and to Carl's point earlier, um, you know, our people responded and they've done a great job. And, and um, we've also, you know, been fortunate in that we've continued to make investments in our railroad. And, and as we often say, our, our railroad's in the best shape it's ever been in. And, and so we're able to respond to upticks in volume, like Steve mentioned, when they come and, and deliver what our customers need. The word normal, I think, has been uh, uh, overused, maybe. Well, what is the new normal? I don't think that's been defined. One thing that comes to mind is, as Steve mentioned, the package-related uh, traffic uh, has uh, actually actually grew a bit, uh, and that's uh, defined by I think largely by people shopping from home, um, you know, people people working from home. So there's more dependency on on having things delivered. Uh, that to me might be the biggest uh, driver of, of growth. What do you what are your thoughts on that? It's hard to predict what the new normal will be. Uh, I think there will be some things that are never not, never done the same as they used to be. Uh, patterns that were happening have, have accelerated. You just referenced some of that in terms of what, what might happen with how goods move. At the same time, I think a lot of what's happening now is happening because everybody's in a similar circumstance responding, responding to the pandemic and what that means for the way they're running their businesses. And as things recover, they will, everyone will make their own decisions for what's right with them. So we'll see differences in how people come back to work, how many people uh, work remotely, all those sorts of things that I think 
as always in life and always in business, we'll have to watch all those things, make the decisions that are right for us and adapt and change as, as people change around us. I think one thing I'd, I'd comment on relative to the growth in, in parcel business, and, and, and trust me, we love handling the volume. Um, we, 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 love, uh, we love handling all different kinds of volume that, that we, can, uh, we can get into our network. I think the reality of it is that we all know supply chains have had to adjust to just some unprecedented both economic circumstances and the circumstances of how people go about their, their daily lives. And so, so part of that has been for parcels to enter the distribution networks at different points than originally planned. Uh, it's quite possible that as our customers adjust their warehousing inventories and the timelines on their supply chain, that some of what's moving in parcels today could revert back to intermodal for the move into the distribution center and then move into the parcel networks for that last mile to the customer. And, and we'll just have to watch how that works. But uh, I, I think uh, certainly, as, as I mentioned earlier, the value of what the rail network provides to our economy, uh, to consumers, to our customers, is that we, we are able to adjust and adapt to how our customers want to adjust and adapt their supply chains. If, if they want to move in, in a unit train service, we have that as an option. If they want to move in a single car service, we have that as an option. If they want to move in our priority intermodal network, that's an option. If they want to move in our expedited intermodal network, that's an option. And we can, we can adjust um, literally uh, with, with a day or two's notice, as, Katie, as Katie's team has had to do on a couple of occasions. Our customers told us they, were, they needed to make adjustments, and, and literally within less than two days, we are in-gating units and handling them with different priority on our network. So what, what that all means is we have to make the decisions about how we adjust and adapt as the circumstances adjust, change. So we have to stay abreast of all the circumstances around us, change, the, change our approach as we've done throughout, um, and listen to our customers for what they need and what's right for the moment. And doing all that sets us up to handle what comes to us, to get value for what we do, to drive efficiencies across our network and to compete to win business. So most of all, I think that's what everybody can expect to us is that, from us as this evolves, that we'll do those things. And I think we've been very thoughtful over the last several decades that we don't invest for specific pieces of business. We invest for our network so that we have the ability to flex with whatever segment of our business needs to move at that time. So I think we're well positioned to be able to do that. Um, just getting back to uh, uh, parcels um, briefly, uh, connected with that, of course, is the packaging that's required for parcels. Uh, uh, how do you think that might affect the business, in other words, in terms of the raw materials to make, uh, to make boxes, the, 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 the uh, paper, you know, the wood pulp, uh, paperboard, uh, whether it's new or whether it's recyclable, of course, that may, that may affect uh, uh, forest products. Uh, uh, any any thoughts on that? Well, I'll start. I think we've seen we've seen the impact of more internet-based shopping and the, the demand for cardboard to, to deliver those packages. That's been in that that's been in place for a couple of years. That that's a trend that's been there. Um, certainly, currently, that has increased a lot from an already increased base. 
But remember, we've got a relatively large paper manufacturing set of processes scattered around the U.S. And so I think they've been able to adjust uh, quite quickly. I, I really haven't heard that, that having access to corrugated paper has been a has been one of the challenges in this in this pandemic. So that's the beauty of our economy is that is that people are incented to have flexibility built in so they can take advantage of, of opportunities as they're as they're out there. So certainly on the on the rail side of the business, uh, in our in our boxcar business, have we seen um, paper increase? Yes. Um, but you know a boxcar hauls a lot of paper. There have been some observations that there may be a move toward bringing manufacturing back to the domestic side, if not not only uh, not only in in the United States, but perhaps in in Mexico, uh, a bit of a shift from manufacturing in China to the North American side, and that um, that would of course shift traffic away from uh, international intermodal over to over to domestic intermodal. Are you seeing any signs of that? Well, I, I will tell you that uh, some of that shift is already occurring. Um, and some of that shift is occurring because we have customers who, while they, while they'll ship it in an international container, they actually prefer to break that international container down on the West coast and structure their uh, loads for movement into the interior of the U S. Um, and so the, the amount of what in the industry is called IPI freight that moves intact in the international container off the West Coast into the interior has been declining for several reasons. One of those is that it is transloading into domestic boxes in, uh, on the West Coast of the U.S. So some of that is already happening. Secondly, there's a lot of port-to-port uh, -port competition. And so uh, freight that came into the West Coast of California is, is finding different ways into the country as some of our customers have adjusted their supply chains to deal with their concerns about some of the West Coast history. Now we're, we're working hard to, to retain and, and grow the value proposition of the West Coast, which one of the things that has shown in this uh, pandemic is uh, when our customers need to get freight into the U.S. quickly, they bring it to the West Coast of the U.S. They're bringing it to the West Coast of the U.S. because the sailing times are shorter and there is a ready-built set of capacity on the West Coast to move that freight. And then there's our railroad to move it very quickly and efficiently uh, into the interior. So actually, um, we've seen that reverse course here over the last uh, several months with, with volumes uh, coming back. But still, um, a lot of that freight is deconsolidating and already moving into our domestic network. Now, the broader question you ask about freight moving out of China, some of our customers have moved their manufacturing to other places in Asia. Um, I would say some. The, the manufacturing base in China is large and will more people move? Probably. Um, ultimately, the question is how much of it comes to North America, how much of it comes to the U.S., how much of it comes to Mexico. We'll have to see how that plays out its early innings. I wanted to get into coal just a little bit now. As, as, as we know, it's, um, it's not going to come back uh, to what it was. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's, uh, you may see a few, some 
minor spikes uh, having to do with energy usage, but uh, largely uh, coal has a limited life. And when I say limited, uh, we don't know how long the, it's going to last, but you know, we're not looking at, uh, at it falling off the face of the earth uh, next year. It may take 10 years, it may take 15, it may take 20. We don't know. But um, how do you replace that revenue stream, which is, which is such a, was such a huge part of, uh, of railroad revenue? I want to start talking about it from a little bit different premise, because when you ask the question of how do you replace coal, that could lead, that could lead people to think that there, was, there were profitable opportunities out there that we weren't doing because we had coal. And that, that's just not how BNSF thinks about it. I, I think that we have pursued profitable growth opportunities in all of our segments as, uh, as they're available, regardless of what coal volumes are or grain volumes are or crude volumes are. Uh, we think that's the right thing to do. So certainly as, as coal um, declines on the network, there are adjustments that we'll make to our network and our operation but I would say we're still in pursuit of the same profitable growth opportunities that we were uh, before coal's decline. And quite frankly, uh, we, as coal has faced challenging economic circumstances, uh, we, uh, we have continued to do what we've needed to do to maintain the profitable opportunities in, in the coal space that are still there as well. And, and that's really a quite important perspective that, yeah. You know, Katie said this earlier as well, as, as Steve just also described, and that is we invest in our network, uh, and then we take actions to keep our network fluid. And so then as part of that, we expect all of our business units to know their markets and, and to engage in them. And anything we do to make the network move well overall, it moves well for all of our customers. Now, the one thing I think it is important to say about coal, though, is there are parts of our network that coal is the vast majority and has been the vast majority of the move. So we, we've had to make some adjustments to, to our network there. Uh, as you said, when you look and see coal not coming back, then some of those, that capacity is not something we, we would see we would need. And we've made those adjustments also. Let's talk about investment then. Um, not, not only in, in uh, capacity uh, and state of good repair, but also, also in equipment. What are you looking at for, uh, for the remainder of this year? As you can imagine, we spend a lot of time looking at um, both locomotives and equipment. And so um, maybe split those into two different categories. If we think about locomotives, um, as I mentioned, we, we do spend a lot of time thinking about what's the right size for that fleet. Um, and right now, we believe that our active fleet is sized appropriately for the current volume levels. Um, we also, uh, as you can imagine, have uh, locomotives in storage that as we were taking those locomotives out of service, as we were seeing the volumes come down, uh, we were spending time to make sure that we, we put those locomotives in a, in a position such that when we needed to bring them out, we could do that quickly. And so we did that on the front end as we were putting those locomotives in storage. Um, so with, with a surge fleet across our network and positioned across our network, we believe that we have the appropriate uh, level of, of locomotives right now, not only to be able to handle volumes we're seeing, but, but to see, to, to go ahead and handle an uptick as well. So um, we really have no immediate plans right now to acquire additional locomotives. If we think about uh, equipment, 
I think what we would say with equipment is, you know, we have a, a large portion of our volume that moves in private equipment. Um, and then for, for the other portion of our volume, we'll, we'll look at that on a case-by-case -case basis. I will tell you we have significant equipment stored across our system. So much like our locomotives, we will have the ability to respond quickly when volume returns. We've had a pretty intentional process of looking at our locomotive fleet over the last several years. And, and um, as we've acquired locomotives, making those the most fuel efficient locomotives in the industry. You know, when we look to shed assets, we would retain the most fuel efficient, that's for sure. Could you talk a bit about um, major uh, capital projects occurring this year? When I say capital projects, I'm talking about uh, track infrastructure, whether it's state of good repair or the capacity uh, expansion? So again, this is also, as we look at volumes fluctuating, we, we really try to match our resources to that demand. And, and when we think of matching resources, there's really five components of capacity that we look at. We look at our people, we think about our track, uh, the locomotives that we just talked about and our rail cars, and, and then our terminals as well. And so we continue to look at each of those uh, areas of capacity in the context of demand and what demand's doing. So with that said, we also, though, every year recognize that we have to continue to invest in our network. Um, it's important that we continu continue to invest in our core network uh, to make sure that we keep a safe and an efficient infrastructure. And so if we look at 2020, Bill, the largest component of our capital plan is about two point, uh, almost $2.6 billion, and, and that's really devoted to maintaining BNSF's railroad in infrastructure. And so that's you know replacing and upgrading rail, our ties, our ballast, maintaining our rolling stock. And just to give you some perspective, even with the volumes where they, where they are, we will um, uh, surface and undercut about 11,000 miles of track this year. We'll replace almost 500 miles of, of rail and we'll uh, replace nearly 2.7 million uh, ties. So uh, a significant investment in, in our core infrastructure. Now, with that said, we also know that when we look at expansion projects, um, we, we can't look at them just for one year. We, we do what we, uh, we look at about a five-year rolling expansion plan. And so we try to look at what we think we need now as well as into the future. And so we were involved in several multi-year projects that continued on through 2020. Um, one of those was uh, a fourth main track in Winslow, Arizona. So in late April, we actually in-serviced that fourth main track. So we're, we're excited about this because um, this, this additional track um, at Winslow allows us to basically improve the throughput of, of the trains that move through that, that area. And, and that's important because we have a lot of different levels of service that move through our, our Southern Transcon. And so being able to efficiently handle um, the different types of traffic through that facility uh, is a big enabler for us. Um, and the other piece of this is this has been a part of a multi-year uh, investment strategy along our Southern Transcon. This now, with the completion of the, the fourth main track at Winslow, Arizona, we now have four main tracks at each of our crew change locations along the Southern Transcon. So, so that will give us better consistency uh, and better velocity improvement for our customers along the Southern Transcon. In addition to that, we are also uh, in a multi-year project uh, in the state of Kansas. Uh, uh, we're putting an additional main track uh, through 50 miles of track uh, in the state of Kansas. And, and again, we believe that that will be um, important for us in the future to be able to deliver consistent and uh, reliable service across the Transcon. 
And then Steve talked about some of the, the intermodal volumes that we see. One of our largest facilities is in North Texas here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, our facility out at Alliance. And we continue to uh, put capacity into that facility. And when we finish the capacity projects out there this year, we'll be able to handle just over a million lifts at our Alliance Intermodal facility. And then finally, um, one of the largest projects, uh, multi-year projects that we're continuing to work on during 2020 is adding a second main on a bridge over Lake Ponderé at Sandpoint, Idaho. And so uh, I think you know where this project is. It's basically um, where yes. we funnel a single track uh, across our northern transcon where basically we meet the Montana rail link. And so this project will add a second main track um, and give us the ability to really handle uh, the volume more consistently that wants to move into and out of the Pacific Northwest. This has been a complicated project, uh, a project that's taken us um, several years to permit, um, and we anticipate being completed with that project around 2024. So those are really the significant projects that we are continuing investment in during 2020. Uh, Bill, I was going to say from a commercial perspective, those, uh, those things are all important in and of themselves uh, for each individual project. But when you sum it all up, what it means for our customers and the communities that we, that we operate through where our customers' facilities are, it means that we have a safe railroad. Uh, we have industry-leading uh, low rail equipment incidents, and it's something that uh, we're, we're, we're uh, able to make a point to our customers. Uh, we're not satisfied with where we are. We, we seek to continually improve that. But we have a safe railroad. We have a reliable railroad. We have the capacity uh, available for our customers to grow. That's the hallmark of, uh, of a good railroad. I don't want to sound trite here, but the investment stays on track, right? <laughs> One of the questions we get a fair amount is about the future, especially right now. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to speak to that just a bit. So I, mean, I think we should be confident of our future. I'm as confident and optimistic as I've ever been. Railroads and railroaders do something that's relevant and important. And that's certainly true right now. And so what we have to do is continue to adapt uh, as we go forward. And that's why you've seen railroads exist for such a long time. Our roots go back 170 years. Uh, there's not many organizations that can say that. So we can be proud of what we've accomplished, but also confident of our future. Uh, BNSF itself celebrates our 25th anniversary in September, and two strong railroads came together to make the great BNSF, a, a railroad with a balanced portfolio of a business that you've heard us talk about a lot that does the right thing, and we operate safely and efficiently, and we'll, we'll always try to do that. And so looking in the future, one of the things that we think will always be the same, at least for a very, very long time, that 170 years ago when BNSF was created, it was really important when a train got to town. And today and in the future, it'll still be really important when the train gets to town. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, wow, it's been 25 years since the formation of, uh, of BNSF when the Burlington Northern and the uh, Santa Fe came together. I was, I was around incredible? back then. <laughs> I was around back then. I was around before then. Uh, uh, me wow. too, Bill. Me too. Um, <laughs> I was a summer intern in 1978. So um, yes, um, but but yeah, it's it's that time's gone in a blink of a lie, and there's a lot to be proud of. I will close uh, with my my uh, usual uh, uh, well wishes uh, for for uh, you and uh, everyone on your team and the railroad. 
and uh, we wish you we wish you good health and uh, have a safe day. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Deeply and, appreciate. And the same back to you, Bill. Stay safe. Follow the guidelines. That's it for this edition of Rail Group on Air. Thank you to BNSF Railways Carl Ice, Katie Farmer, and Steve Bob. And special thanks to our sponsor, Trinity Rail, which continues to be your premier provider of integrated rail transportation products and services. From rail car leasing and manufacturing to maintenance, parts, and much more, Trinity Rail remains ready to deliver targeted solutions to meet any rail transportation requirement. Call Trinity Rail at 1-800-631-4420 or go to trinityrail.com to learn how the company can help solve today's problems and better prepare you for tomorrow's opportunities. Today, more than ever, Trinity Rail is built to deliver. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, William C. Vantuono. Have a safe day. Music